It is a beautiful Monday morning. That's not a good start, is it, George? No, no. Let's say it like this. Try and apply that theory to any other industry in the world. It's a scam. I was betting like 70, 80k. This is the TradeMate Sports Betting Podcast, helping you beat the bookmakers. G'day guys, Alex here. Welcome to the TradeMate Sports Betting Podcast. Today I'm joined by mental game coach, Jared Tendler, who has worked for some of the world's top poker players, entrepreneurs, and several elite sports people in golf, esports, and pool. He is also the author of three books. One of the main reasons we've got him on today is he has a new book coming out. So his recent books have been, or books in the past, have been The Mental Game of Poker, The Mental Game of Poker 2, and his new book is called The Mental Game of Trading. Welcome to the podcast, Jared. Thanks, thanks, Alex. Appreciate it, man. Obviously, you can you can sense a theme with my with my titles. I'm not necessarily the most creative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you, couldn't you think of a better name for the second part? Yeah, book? no, I suppose maybe it's, maybe it's just branding, right? I, no, I I, I, I I suck at at naming things. My wife picked our our daughter's name, so I, I just kind of we've we've all that stuff to the to the professionals. <laughs> no, it's all right, mate. I mean, it makes sense to to most people, I'm sure. You, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you, pretty you get the gist of what it's about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, mate, I'm I'm very excited today. As as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I'm very excited about this conversation because uh, I don't think we've had anyone on the podcast really. I mean, we've had it. We've had someone on it was i think it was episode 26 um his name was mike holden and he talked a lot about the foot about football and the the mental side the profiling side of managers but but i wouldn't say to this extent where we can kind of talk about the yeah get really deep into the mental like side. Like not, not so much on the betting side of it yeah not not too much of the betting side of it or at least he hadn't really thought about it from the betting side or implemented mm-hmm. it yet so right. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. So I, th- I think the the best way to start is to yeah tell everyone a bit about yourself, like how you got into becoming a mental game coach, and yeah, any degrees or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly wasn't dreaming of this job as a kid. I was dreaming to play professional golf, and that's kind of what what started my ascent. I mean, I was a kid who just grew up playing sports and just loved playing tennis and baseball and basketball. Um, and eventually, you know, golf kind of found my way. Um, you know, I was pretty short. I was, you know, 4'11 in the U S right. I couldn't, you know, throw it into centimeters, but, um, you know, short as a high schooler. And I had to kind of choose between tennis, uh, baseball and golf, which were all spring sports and, you know, just kind of thinking of the longevity factor and had the best shot of maybe being, becoming a professional, which was a dream of mine to be just play professional sports. I mean, I just, you know, watch sports all the time and just grew up playing it. So, um, you know, got really good pretty quick. I was kind of late into the game and, you know, didn't get a division one scholarship, but I think by my sophomore year of college could have, but freshman year went to uh, a division three school and, you know, eventually won nine tournaments in college was a three-time all American played in four national championships. So I, you know, I could got, I could get it around. Um, but it wasn't really until my freshman year when I tried to qualify for the U S open that the importance of the metal game kind of popped up on my radar uh, because I, I literally played the best golf of my life, tee to green, um, and and just basically choked on the greens, right? Missing putts that were, you know, three, four feet, um, you know, and and it was an, basically the difference between me qualifying and moving on to the second stage, which if, if those that don't know the qualifying in the U.S. Open, uh, it's basically kind of a two-tiered thing. Um, you know, all the, 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 the schlubs like me get in the first stage, and if you get through, you're basically playing like a, like a modified PGA tour event because there's only about 50 players out of 156 that automatically qualify. So you've got, you know, very well-named PGA tour players playing in the second stage of, of qualifying. Um, so I missed that by a shot basically because I, I choked. So that, that kind of, um, you know, accelerated my interest in, in the mental side. And I kind of dove into books and trying to, you know, I wasn't thinking it was a problem right at that point. I was just kind of interested in figuring out how to make sure it wasn't, but then it kind of kept happening. And, and you know, the more I kind of dove in, the more I realized, like, the stuff is helping me, right? The traditional sports psychology, we're talking, you know, the late 90s at this point. The traditional sports psychology was definitely helping me play better at every other time except when it mattered most. So I just, like, kind of kept choking in these big spots. And it was like, so I, I kind of just reasoned um, that I couldn't be alone, right? And, and in a way, I was kind of being, like, naturally selected out of the game. Just I didn't have you know, kind of the it factor or whatever, you know, some of these intangibles that 
you know, people would say back then. We now can quantify it a lot more now. But back then, you know, it, it was hard to really quantify exactly what the difference was. And so I, I just kind of reasoned, all right, if I can find answers, then I'm, I'm either going to have a chance to play professional golf or I might have a career and be able to pursue it. So um, I, I ended up kind of adding a second major, uh, you know, both to my business and psychology degree, then went to and get a, a master's degree in counseling psychology, right? Because I already knew the sports psychology side. I figured that, all right, if I can learn to be a therapist and learn to solve kind of deeper rooted problems, then at least I'll have a way of kind of getting at the bottom of what was going on, right? And I didn't, I'm not saying that my issues were personal, but what I ended up kind of creating was this like hybrid of like sports psychology and therapy, which what I would call, you know, kind of dealing on this like performance level where we're dealing with performance flaws. You know, and I'll, I'll, we'll probably get into a lot more of that today. But um, the point is that I, so then I got licensed, you know, 3,200 hours supervised practice, yada, yada, yada. And then I quit my job, moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, this just like hub of, of golf and just like went door to door trying to find a home where I could, you know, basically kind of bring my brand of, you know, golf psychology um, and find a place where I can keep practicing and working on my game. Found a spot, you know, ramped up a, 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 you know, kind of a client roster, you know, some PGA Tour players, some LPGA Tour players, so a lot of a bunch of mini tour players and some good juniors, um, you know, and, you know, was making my way forward. And then I meet a poker player on the golf course, you know, uh, through some mutual friends. And this was a guy. So, like, I don't know how much you know about online poker back in like 2007. It was like really, really kind of popping. Right. So Chris Moneymaker wins the World Series of Poker and, um, and, and you know, online poker just kind of booms. And, and so this is a guy who's playing 12 tables at once online and he's making about a dollar per hand, playing a thousand hands an hour, just killing it. But he had massive tilt problems. Anytime that he would get like a string of bad luck, he was literally just like grabbing his mouse, shoving it right into his monitor, picking up his desktop out of the wall and just like slamming it on the ground. I mean, he was, he was, it was obviously costing him millions and not millions, but thousands of dollars and, and kind of just lost opportunity. He wasn't. So anyway, he and I ended up doing work together for about three or four months. And prior to he and I working together, he was making around 20 to $30,000 a month in the four months after we worked together, he made 600 K and, you know, obviously there's a little bit of run good in that. But for the most part, the biggest difference was that he was now playing almost double the amount of volume because of how much more he was able to play because he wasn't losing the downtime and he was able to get in the zone more often. So he was actually playing better, right? When you're not kind of defending against your own anger issues, you can just play better. So, you know, poker, uh, you know, he, he was a, a kind of a part owner in an online training site, got me introduced to the, the world of online poker. And I just kind of like very rapidly kind of scaled up uh, and working with, with poker, uh, then wrote the mental game of poker. And, and then traders start picking up the, the book. So I start working with traders. Um, then, you know, through a, a mutual contact, I end up uh, getting hooked up with, with Team Liquid, which is uh, the largest esport organization in the world. Uh, and for four years, uh, was the head of sports psychology for them. And, you know, was kind of part of their, uh, you know, some of the biggest championships they've had in, in, in a, across the multiple titles. You know, and then I've kind of had like a mishmash of other, you know, professionals like the, the pool player you mentioned who has won a couple world championships. Um, so it's been kind of a, and, and some entrepreneurs as well. And of course some sports better, right? So I've got, you know, a large horse punter based in, in Australia. I've got a, uh, a guy, uh, now based in Texas who does, um, live betting of, of football, um, a little bit of hockey and, and baseball, um, you know, both of whom are making, you know, millions a year, um, and then have a couple other sports traders, um, some doing arbitrage, some doing, you know, a couple of different things, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I it's kind of a mishmash of all things and, you know, the, just to kind of pull it all together, um, my golf game did get actually close enough to, 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 to start playing some professional golf. And I did start yeah. playing some detour events and, and really did kind of solve my own issues. The irony is that like right at the moment where poker was like starting to boom was like when I started playing professional golf. And, and it's kind of crazy to say, but basically like poker was like the safe bet because it was going to cost me, you know, two to 300 grand to try to make it as a, as a professional golfer. And, you know, I, I just kind of weighed the uh, the EV of the situation, and um, yeah, it was my dream. But you know, I, I got to be a little bit of a pragmatist here. So, it's it's an amazing story, mate. I'd I'd love to ask, like, if you if you wound back the clock and when you first started working with golf players, when you kind of maybe just graduated from from college or whatever you guys call it over there, like, 
did you could you imagine like you know this whole mental side of things to like did you even believe in it yourself because i mean there's people out there today which think it's probably a load of crap <laughs> yeah no i i think i i did get converted right so i went from having no clue you know as a as a an aspiring professional to understanding that at the end of the day like emotions affect decision making right whether as a golfer whether as a poker player a, a sports better uh, emotions affect decision making uh, they affect you know athletes who are competing and and if you're not like understanding the way in which they affect your emotion they affect your decisions or your execution then you're basically gambling. I mean, it's just like an it's it's another form uh, of risk that you're not really like managing. Uh, it's it's sort of the own internal now. Now, yes, it's I think it's it's gotten a, a, a more of a bad rap because you can't see it, right? Except mm -hmm. everyone that's listening to this knows very well when they see athletes who just are choking. So yeah, yeah, there are are th that's just like a more dramatic example, but. You know, when I'm working with like institutional trading firms or PGA Tour players or, you know, pool players playing for world championships, we're not talking about massive problems. We're talking about squeezing these fine tuned edges, which is no different than them, you know, working with, a, you know, like a, uh, you know, somebody on their form to for the pool player to work on his break or, you know, the trader to just like kind of fine tune, you know, some of their entries and exits or the poker, or the, the golfer who's working on their putting stroke. It, it is it is no different. We're talking about either very small fine tuning kinds of stuff. Or for some people we're talking about, you know, bigger problems that, you know, really are making the difference between them being profitable or not. And, and what's it like nowadays? I mean, I assume it's ever evolving and people are becoming more and more receptive to it. But would you say that, you know, every major sports team or every big player, tennis, golf, they're all looking at having a mental coach on board? Yeah, I think for the most part, I mean, I'm not going to say everyone, um, but I think if you've got the cash and a lot of big athletes now do just because of how much money is involved in them, you know, and, and you are somebody who's incredibly competitive and you're looking for every little advantage. I mean, you know, I mean, I have a PGA Tour player who's got, you know, me, he's got a physio guy, he's got a nutritionist, he's got a putting coach, he's got a, a swing coach, he's got an assistant who helps to manage his travel. And then obviously he's got his agent, right? So like, you know, you're talking about even individual sports, creating teams of people, right? And, and, and you know, some of them also are, are working a lot with the analytics. So, you know, there's, it just, it just becomes harder and harder as, as, as sports, as games evolve to find advantages. And, and, and so you're either kind of like leading the charge and trying to figure out how to create one, or you're basically like learning from the others who are going to. And so, yeah, there's a lot of franchises that have, have turned to this. And I, listen, I'm not going to say that every sports psychologist, mental coach, performance coach, you know, is great. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of, I think, just kind of recycled stuff that just is, it, it, you know, can be very basic. You know, there's kind of different classes of, of the kinds of things that you're working on. Um, you know, so for example, I can guarantee you any, you know, coach or manager um, who is worth their lick, you know, right now, either like instinctively kind of understands some of these principles or they've got somebody that they've learned from and they've learned through the ranks, you know, where you're just creating environments that are meant to, for, for excellence and, and to excel. And, and, you know, you're talking about understanding your, t your players, your athletes, creating the environment to be able to maximize what they, uh, what they can do. And every team, every player is different. So that's not like a cookie cutter kind of thing. But you've got to be considering those factors because you you know motivation and drive is one of the most important elements and and so yeah if you can squeeze out a little bit more motivation so every single practice is that much more efficient then yeah you're going to create an, an advantage from that so you know that's like on a one element then you've also got kind of the, like the mental skills training where you've got uh you know the importance of routines and and kind of uh, doing some some breathing work so you can you know, kind of focus in more, more easily at, 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 you know, trickier points, uh, you know, in competition or, you know, when you're making key decisions, um, you know, th and then you have kind of what I would say is like kind of the, the bulk of what I do, right? So I, I am in this sort of sphere of, as I said before, like kind of dealing on this performance level where we are looking for individual patterns that cause 
emotional reactions that damage decision-making or execution. So for example, these performance flaws can include high expectations, right? Now, I'm not gonna say by any way that high expectations are bad, okay? That it's, it's, it's just like kind of too basic a way of analyzing it. But high expectations can damage confidence. So, you know, high expectations can create incredible motivation, right? You're driven to be at your best. You're driven to be perfect every single day you're at, you go out there. But over time, you're going to continually underperform relative to those expectations because they are so high. And, and if you are not really, really strong at balancing those emotions, like a Tiger Woods, a Michael Jordan kind of, you know, level of, of emotional mastery, then those... Uh, that, that the volatility that can come, the highs and lows that can come, can create a lot of emotional stability, instability, and damage to your confidence, right? Other flaws can include uh, confirmation bias, right? Where you are motivated to seek out information that confirms a pre-existing belief, right? And, and I'm certain that this is rampant in, in the sports betting world, right? Like you are looking for research, you're looking to have conversations, you're looking for, you know, pieces of information that confirm you know, a, a position or a bet that you want to make rather than just being more of a sponge and absorbing the information and trying to use, you know, your, your senses, your intuition, your just your gut for what's going to happen or a very logical decision-making process. You're taking that, those inputs in cleanly and making the right decision. If you are, you know, looking for information and filtering it out in the way that you want it to be, you're just going to make poor decisions. So, you know, those are two of like many examples that, you know, if you're unaware of these performance flaws, they will create a fear of failure. They'll create a fear of mistakes or, you know, revenge tilting or hatred of, uh, of losing. They'll create, you know, boredom and burnout and confidence problems. And basically all that does is create lots of ups and downs in your execution. I mean, the, the, the most simple way, I think for, you know, somebody who is a, either like really skeptical of stuff that I do, which I fully respect. I mean, is, is to look at your most common mistakes, not the things that happen like once in a while, right? The things that happen, you know, either day in and day in and day out or week in and week out, or if you're in a bad stretch that are going to tend to reoccur, you look at those mistakes and I promise you there is something emotional present there. There's some kind of a flaw in your decision-making process because if there wasn't, then you would just continue to make great decisions. So there's something off. And if you start using that as like the first access point, that's where you start to identify, ah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm a little pissed off because, you know, six out of the last seven bets have, have gone against me in some pretty sick and unfair ways. So, you know, you, you start to pay attention to the language. And, and so if it's an unfairness, well, I mean, you know that there's no fairness, fairness in sports. You know that it's you know, the, the variance is a huge part of this game. So despite logically having the correct way to think in these moments, you lose sight of that. So what does that mean? It means that you have some injustice tilt. you have some flaw related to injustice. And that is, you know, clouding your judgment and that clouded judgment causes you to make that mistake. So if you do that kind of analysis, I think it's a very simple way of kind of getting involved because we're not talking about you know, kind of totally changing your mindset. We're not talking about adopting this like, you know, killer mentality, this win at all cost mentality, or, you know, having the right personality for, for betting. We're talking about very surgically looking at your mistakes and figuring out why they happen. Because I can promise you, they do not happen randomly. They happen for predictable reasons. The problem is you just don't know yet why they're predictable because you haven't looked and, and, and really done the analysis, you know, and, and, and a lot of people haven't looked you know, at the mental and emotional factors that can, that can contribute to that. That's fascinating. So have you, have you started, you just mentioned before that you started working with some professional sports betters, like how is, how has that gone and how has it been different or maybe it hasn't been too different to your work you've done in similar things like poker? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly, that's like kind of the fun thing. Like I like learning like a new environment. Um, but at the end of the day, at least, you know, the sample of people that I've worked with, which is pretty small, are, you know, at the top or near the top of their game. I mean, they're making far more than the average. And obviously anybody who's making money is doing far better than the average. So, you know, we look at the, like the characteristics, we look at the mentality that they have, you know, they share a lot of the traits that I see in some of the best, you know, athletes or, or, or performers, you know, that I work with. And, and it's a, it's just a dedication to, 
this sort of ev ev evolving perfection of their craft, right? They just want to keep getting better. They're just like the athletes, you know, that they're betting on. And, and so, you know, that's fun to work with because for us, that means that we can really get into detail and really, you know, kind of pour through nuance. You know, obviously there's a, there's always kind of a startup period where, you know, it may take a few sessions to really get to know somebody and start to create a rapport and, you know, work through some of the basic stuff. But, you know, these guys have been working with for years. So, you know, if, if anybody was to kind of listen in on, the, on those conversations now, they, they would think we're insane that we're spending an hour, you know, pouring over some, you know, very, very minute differences in the types of decisions that they're making. But, you know, if you look at where we came from, we were dealing with the bigger stuff before, but, you know, their dedication and drive to just constantly, you know, improve themselves is, is just, uh, it's, it's basically what, what you see everywhere else. I mean, they're competitive as hell. They want to win. They, they hate losing. Um, and, and they'll do anything they can to, to keep getting better, especially in highly competitive markets where, you know, laws are changing. I know there's, you know, the, the laws in Australia change in terms of horse betting, um, you know, in the U S uh, you know, it's, it's tough to find, you know, the liquidity you need for sports betting. So you're, you know, you're kind of playing this cat and mouse game. Uh, so, you know, there's a constant kind of juggling act on multiple levels, you know, that they're kind of faced with and, you know, then nothing's going to stop them, which is, which is fun. Have there been any common themes? I know you can't share exactly what you get into with your clients, but have there been any common themes in the, in the betting arena that people tend to struggle with mentally? Yeah. I mean, I think so, you know, there's sort of kind of, kind of two sides of the coin, right? So we're first kind of dealing with the negative emotions and, and anger is always the, the most, you know, the most common and the biggest one, um, you know, and, and, you know, to some extent, like, you know, anger is not in and of itself a problem, right? I, 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 I'm, I, some people in, in my profession say, you know, like losing shouldn't be painful, right? You should kind of take away, you know, that and really kind of focus on your process and just kind of nail that. But if you're really competitive and it's your money on the line, which, you know, unless you're working in a syndicate, I mean, it's not, right? it's your money. So, losing your money should hurt and that's fine right the question is does that pain last long enough that it's going to then affect your decision making and and unfortunately for a lot of betters poker players traders uh sports betters um you know it, it just the anger gets there and, and especially because the variance and volatility you know in your results can be so seemingly unfair you know the variance is so great it's just really, it's very mentally tough to deal with. I mean, in so many other aspects of life, especially if you've got friends who work normal jobs or even they're, they're entrepreneurs or whatever, like there's so much more control you have over, you know, the outcomes of, of your results. Even as athletes, they have more, more control over the outcomes of their results. You know, this doesn't mean they're always going to win, but you know, the variance is, is far lower, um, you know, as a, as a footballer than it is as, you know, somebody who's betting on football. So, so being able to kind of mentally deal with that takes a ton of training. It really has to kind of, you know, identify some of the, those, those performance flaws, as I mentioned, uh, in order to be able to deal with it. So, yeah, I mean, anger is, is like kind of far and away the biggest one. Um, you know, you, you do get fear. I mean, I think fear is somewhat secondary, um, more so because I think it, it can be somewhat unknown, right? I mean, I mean, I think for the most part, um, those who are fearful are going to tend to define themselves maybe as a bit more prudent. Um, you know, a bit more cautious, a bit more like just risk averse. And they may think that those are kind of parts of their personality and, and, you know, they're going to make consistent profits or they're going to be consistently kind of there, but what they're not going to do is maybe size up and, you know, make as big of a bets as they probably could, uh, given, you know, the, the, the size of the opportunity they may see in certain situations. Um, they may end up on the sidelines of, of a bet that they just, you know, really kind of second guessing when, you know, if that fear, we're going to call it fear was not there. They would just be pushing those edges and and be able to tolerate, you know, the ups and downs of it. But the fear of loss, the fear of mistakes, the fear of failure, right? That that really can kind of compromise a lot of that decision making and really shut down uh, that process. It's it's I think it's kind of interesting because fear and anger are, are in some ways like kind of polar opposites, right? So fear causes a lot of hesitation, a lot of second guessing, a lot of overthinking. Um, you know, you're going to go against your gut, your intuition. Uh, you're going to have like any of these like, you know, kind of negative thoughts and they're going to spiral. Anger almost is the opposite. Anger stops you from thinking. It removes hesitation. 
right? And so, <laughs> you know, you're kind of dealing with, with two different things. And some people do deal with both, right? You know, during a downstretch, you know, they may deal with, uh, you know, more fear, right? Is they fear like they're going to go bust. They're going to fear that they, they're going to be out of the game and, and, you know, looking for something else. Whereas, you know, things are going kind of more normally well where there's ups and downs, you know, they're going to have more anger out of injustice or just, you know, some normal hatred of losing. Uh, revenge trading, revenge tilt is a, is a big one as well. Um, in, in the poker book, I, I outlined seven types of tilt. Um, they were uh, running bad tilt, which, you know, should be obvious. Injustice tilt. Uh, hate losing tilt, uh, revenge tilt, uh, entitlement tilt, and desperation tilt. Um, in the trading book, I've kind of simplified thing, things a little bit since I've, you know, kind of consolidated a little bit. Desperation tilt is really much more about confidence, and 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 like desperation would be that like you just have to win. You will do anything. You're just like kind of auto, uh, you know, re rebetting uh, certain spots, uh, not really even thinking at all. You were just like desperate to get a win, that's more of a confidence issue. And it's, uh, you know, a, a tougher one to solve. Uh, revenge or uh, running bad tilt is, is interesting because it's not about, you know, the run bad per se, that's the problem. It's that there's such a high concentration of tilt inducing crap in such a short period of time that your mind doesn't have the ability to reset itself. So, you know, the way I would describe this is, uh, you know, you have a, a pretty poor day, but you know, for the most part, you look at the last month and you're doing fine. You're still up money. Things are going well, not that big a deal. Okay. Day two, another, you know, kind of poor day, a little bit of, you know, some bad luck and, uh, you know, maybe you, 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 you got, you got a late start and you're, you know, the odds kind of moved on you too soon. And you just got kind of bad pricing. So, you know, you go to bed, like still pissed off. You wake up the next morning and you sort of feel fine but you're not quite a hundred percent. So what ends up happening is what I call accumulated emotion, right? Uh, you, you wake up the next day with like 10% more emotion. You just kind of in the background of your mind. And what that means is that you're just going to tilt faster. It's going to take less stuff to get you over that threshold where you're going to make some poor decisions. And if that keeps happening, you know, it's kind of like a, like a glass of water steadily filling up, you know, you get to the point where it's like you're tilted from, from like the beginning. Like if, if like, not like the game isn't even over and like, you know, you got to get a couple bad calls or, you know, a star player makes some stupid mistakes or gets hurt. And you're already, you've already lost your mind thinking that you're going to lose this bet and all the rest of them in days shot. Like that is, you know, accumulated tilt. That is effectively what happens. in you know, when you're running bad is you, you, there's just so much stuff. Your brain doesn't have the ability to process itself, you know, which, which typically happens when you take, you know, longer stretches of time off. Right. Why does everybody, for the most part, feel really refreshed when you take two or three days off, you take a week off, you come back, and you're like, man, I'm thinking really clearly. Well, a lot of that can be because you've gotten rid of all that emotional crap out of your head. You know, the freaking cup of water has been dumped out firmly, and you now are kind of fully receptive to process information as you would normally. But when this shit steadily climbs up, right, brain matter actually shrinks, right? You lose access to aspects of, of your decision-making process, aspects of being able to perceive the information properly. You do not make clear decisions because the part of your brain responsible for that is being compromised by those emotions. So I know that was kind of a long one <laughs> answered your question, but uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, the anger and tilt, or, sorry, anger and, uh, and, and fear would be the- And fear, yeah, right? I, I wanna talk about, I've got a few questions about fear, which I can get to later, but on the on the subject of just emotionally reacting to to wins and losses, do you think there is a a stock standard way, like the best way for someone to to react to both wins and losses? Like, I guess in in your words, like how how do the best people in the world react to each of those phenomena? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna try not to be like coy in answering this, but like. You look at somebody like Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or Tiger, and then you look at like Nadal or Federer or, you know, maybe Ronaldo, you know, and like you look at the, the like the way these guys handle losing. Some are far more, you know, kind of outwardly expressive of how angry and upset that they are. And, and that works for them, clearly. Then you've got guys who are either able to just like let it roll off their shoulder or you know, they kind of take the hit internally and they deal with it themselves. 
So, uh, you know, we're dealing with kind of polar opposites of what's optimal. I think what you've got to look at for you individually is, does my reaction to losing cause more losses? Does it make me more likely to make more mistakes, make poor decisions? If the answer is yes, then you got to do something different. Bottom line, um, you know, and it could be like giving yourself two minutes to be pissed off, two minutes, and then once it's over, you have some kind of a mantra or something you say to yourself, some kind of a routine, and you just put it away. Now, the problem with that, okay, because like I, there's there's some people out here out there who are going to listen to that and say they're going to try it and it's going to work and that's great. There are other people who are going to do that and then they're going to try it for like a week or two and it's going to basically then break and they're going to lose their minds and it could be actually be worse, right? You could be kind of creating this like pressure cooker effect. And, and so in those scenarios, you're, you're then, you need to kind of peel back the layers and understand why is anger causing, or why is, why are losses causing that big of a reaction? Or, you know, you alluded to, what if I handle winning poorly, right? Yeah, I mean, we see this all the time, right? Athletes, teams, they get overconfident, they get complacent, they lose motivation, um, they get a little lazy. You know, all of those things can happen when you're winning. And, and so those are poor reactions too. So, I, I mean, in, in my opinion, right, the optimal way that you handle a loss or a, or a win is to have the same process where you review your decisions, you know, or if you're an athlete, you review the game tape and you look and say, all right, what did I do well? What do I did? What did I do poorly? How did I get here? And what do I got to do differently? And if you do that, regardless of the win and the loss, then you stay in the sort of straight and narrow path where you know, at least you're getting better. At least you're continuing to let yourself evolve and grow as a, as an athlete or as a better. Um, and you know, there, there's one um, kind of tool that I use with, with clients where I actually have them uh, fill out what I call an A to C game analysis. They actually spend time writing about the difference between their best level decision-making, right? Their worst, and then kind of what's in the middle. And what that does is I think especially important for, for betters, for traders, for poker players, because the variance in the short term is so, so chaotic, right? It's sometimes it is tough to know, did I make the right decision? Did I not? If you can articulate the differences between, you know, you at your best, you at your worst and, you know, average or mediocre, then you can kind of go back afterwards and say, all right, you know, I got destroyed today, but if I look at my decision-making process, man, I was spot on. I mean, look, if you're, if you've got a proven track record where you're making money over the long term, you know, you can bet that, you know, variance had a higher degree of, uh, of why you lost that day. And so, yeah, I'm not saying go home, fist pumping, celebrating pop, you know, popping champagne, but at least you can feel a little bit better that you've got proof that your decision-making was sound on the flip side. If you had, you know, the best day of your career and you look at it and you're like, wow, I, I was just crap. Like, you know, did this wrong, did this wrong, did this wrong. I got butt ass lucky. So you can't celebrate as much because of that. So, you know, what that A to C game analysis does is kind of allow you to stay a little bit more objective day to day about your decision making, about your results, uh, because you're not getting caught up in the result itself. You're looking more closely at, at the how you made, you know, your decisions. And if your how and your process was solid, you know, that can kind of mediate a little bit of the, the downside, you know, if, you, if you've lost or a little bit of the upside if you've won. I guess it's a similar concept to sports betting. Like it doesn't matter whether you win or lose. If you don't beat the market, then then long term, it's it's not a good strategy. So I guess you can kind of take a similar approach to to your mental to your mental game in terms of how you react to wins and losses. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, risk, I think, is a really really uh, big concept or big topic in this area, and this is. This was one of the questions that I, I think is <clears throat> probably the most interesting or the most I, when I was writing it down, I got the most excited about in terms of getting an answer for. Um, do you think you should challenge your risk profile or do you think you should acknowledge it and and kind of maybe stay away from that area? And I, and I ask this because there's a certain people that I talk to in the betting industry that say like, I get I get really upset when I lose a, a bet that's at one point two in odds. Let's just say it might be a great bet. You might have you might have beat the market, and and it closed at one point one. And but you took that one point two bet. It's a 
I can't do the, the maths right now, but it's a very, very, very strong chance of winning, but it yep. loses. Um, so I don't bet on those odds ranges just because I know that, you know, if I, if I lose, if I lose that bet, I'm going to go crazy. So should we be challenging our risk profiles? And the same can be said for, for someone betting on, you know, plus, I, don't, I could do some American odds because we might have some American listeners like plus 400, plus 1,000, whatever. Like yep. those people saying, yeah, I I, uh, I don't want to bet on those because I know that they're not going to win very regularly and it's going to piss me off from time to time. Like generally, should we be challenging our risk profile and, and trying to, I guess, improve on that aspect? I mean, if your goal is to continually get better, then in, in some ways, like you eventually you're going to have to. I mean, I think like any athlete, any professional, right, regardless of the industry, you're making a, 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 like a, essentially kind of a bet as to where you're going to allocate your time and how you're getting better. So, you know, at a certain point, right, you're going to run out of things that you can do to get better. And if you're only focusing on, you know, just your analysis of how to find kind of the profitable spots, you know, and you're not working on, you know, your own mentality, you're just missing out on opportunity for you to get better. So it's a, it's kind of a long way of saying like, yeah, I mean, you're going to have to do that at some point because the market is just going to get so sophisticated. So you're either the one kind of pushing that sophistication or you're the one, you know, kind of leading behind and trying to play catch up. Now, does that mean that you have to do it all at once? Does that mean that you can't have kind of like the bandaid approach in the short term where you're calculating kind of the emotional EV of the situation, you know, rightfully so I'm not going to take these bets because I'm going to, it's going to not only cause me to, you know, a lot of emotional turmoil, but then I might make, you know, poor decisions after that. So in the short term, yeah, that is the correct decision to avoid, you know, putting in the, yourself in those spots. But if you're able to do the analysis, right, as I outline in, in the poker book, as I outline in, in the, the, the trading book that's now out, right, if you do that analysis and you really are digging into the cause of that emotional volatility, you know, then you've got an opportunity to correct it. And then you can start to make some decisions. All right, well, maybe I'm going to push myself here for research purposes and just test myself. Because when we're talking about making progress emotionally or taking on, you know, more risk and not having it affect us as much, the only way you can, like, prove that you've made progress is by putting yourself in the hot seat in those particular moments where it matters most, right? Like I said, I was choking in those big pressure moments. In order for me to prove that I've actually solved the problem, I have to not choke. I have to perform at least not shitty in those moments before I know that my corrections actually actually mean something. Otherwise, up until that point, I'm just doing the research. I'm just doing the training. I'm getting in the practice, getting the reps so that I can eventually execute in those moments that are that matter most. And so every every single one of the people listening to this, like everybody's got those moments where we underperform. And, 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 you know, the sale, the scale or size of that underperformance is irrelevant. Nobody is perfect, right? Unless you're trading or, or, or betting just a very, very straightforward style where, you know, you're basically just like playing checkers, right? That, or, or tic-tac-toe, there's no real strategy to it. It's just, you know, clicking buttons. Then, then yeah, you can be perfect at executing that, right? But if there, if there's some nuance to it, if there's some gradation to it, which I mean, I would imagine that that's going to be the, the, the case for, for most people listening there then there are times when you're at your best and there are times when you're at your worst. I don't, it doesn't matter how bad you are at your worst, right? Relative to the field, relative to everybody else, relative to you, it's bad. So, so those are the opportunities, those are the spots where you're trying to dig in, understand the cause so you can devise a correction. And once you devise a correction, that is what you use to push yourself to take on more risk and expand your risk profile. And, and if it's not working, go back to the drawing board and just keep trying that. That's what the, you know, the guys that I was, I was talking about who are betters uh, or the traders. I mean, everybody does it, right? We can't always have the right answer at first, but you do some research, you start to figure something else out. And once you have that, then yes, you can start maybe scaling up and, and taking on more risk and eventually making it just part of your normative you know, strategy. And on that topic, do you, do you think people should, or do you, have, do you have an opinion on whether people should put more effort into improving their weaknesses or whether they should be building even more on their strengths because i think it's a, it's an interesting topic in sports betting too that i've been thinking about a lot lately should i just be thinking about getting even better at the edges i have or should i be trying to find new new paths and and working out new avenues i can go down 
So uh, I'll give you a very basic, like kind of simple way of, of making that decision. All right, if the gap between you at your best and you at your worst is too wide, you're like, you know, and everybody who's listening to this is gonna know, you're gonna either fit in this category or not, right? When you're bad and you're like, my God, like how the hell did I do that? Why did I do that? So like, I know better, it's so freaking dumb, right? If the gap between you at your best and your worst is too wide, you've gotta, you've gotta like chip away at your weaknesses. Because in that case, your weaknesses are gonna be the thing that holds you back. Like you just can't progress. Like your strengths and your weaknesses in this profession, they are linked. Your weaknesses will hold you back. That is a fact, okay? On the flip side, if that gap is too small, then, then yeah, you gotta start doing some research and figuring out how to push it. Cause you don't wanna be, you don't wanna have that range between your best and your worst be too small because you are definitely giving up on top end innovation and, and, and new ways of making money. Yeah, and I've always, and, and onto another topic is, I, th I think you might have written about this in your new book. Uh, I, I think I saw a chapter on open mindedness and and curiosity. I'm not sure if you if you explored that within within risk because I've always thought the like the ultimate combination for a, for a sports better would be to be an open minded and curious person because I think that's how most people get into these kind of things is because they're they're willing to get over the stigma of gambling into. To, to start thinking more open-minded and being curious. And I've always thought that mixed in with with the element of risk or being happy to take risk would be a really good old, like combination for for a sports better because they have the ability to explore certain avenues and in in the beginning and then I guess find out that they can make money from from sports betting and then mixing in the the risk aspect they're they're able to take you know that first deposit that take that that first plunge are they are these kind of those kind of uh, attributes are they common trends that you see with your like most successful clients yeah so it, it's not like a topic that's kind of called out specifically in the book you know as like because the, the book is really kind of designed to you know systematically solve like the five big you know, or the four big emotional problems and like the discipline problems like you know boredom distractibility being overly results oriented uh, procrastination, things like that. Um, but, you know, the open-mindedness and the curiosity, I really, you know, push hard on, you know, taking that approach for, you know, your own emotions and your own, you know, changes in your thought process, your changes in your, your decision-making process and being really curious and open-minded about what is causing those problems. Um, and so, yeah, people who are successful at any level or at the highest levels, they, they tend to be very open-minded and very aggressive at, at like kind of doing the research and figuring out how they can get better. And they have no problem, you know, making mistakes because they understand that it, it's, it's kind of like just completing like a really complicated maze or, you know, filling in like a massive puzzle where you're just finding puzzle pieces. And, you know, maybe this isn't the right one, but in the process of, you know, figuring that out, you, you learn something else that, you know, takes you a step beyond. So I, I, listen, I agree with you. Being open-minded and curious are, are like two essential traits. Being insanely driven and hungry to be either the best or your best is a huge one too. Um, you know, the ability to uh, be self-reflective and, and, and kind of do the, the kind of the hard analysis and the, the reflection to understand where you went wrong, understand what you did right. So you can do more of that. Uh, I think that's a really important trait. Um, you know, that you can obviously there are people who are, are just like a not a naturally very intelligent, but you know, natural intelligence doesn't necessarily, you know, equate to the hard work to, to you know, develop a, a, a queen strategy. I think sometimes like that hard work is, is sometimes trumps that. Um, and certainly you see that with a, a lot of talented athletes who, you know, just don't put it, put in the hard work, but you know, you get somebody like a Federer or, you know, a Jordan or a tiger and you combine those two together and, and it's just, they can't be beaten because, if you've got the talent, you've got the curiosity, you've got the work ethic, you've got the drive. Uh, I mean, it, it just becomes hard for you to, to lose. Yeah. Uh, you, you talk about in your new book about about FOMO. So for those who are maybe a bit older and don't understand, that stands for fear of missing out. <laughs> I think we, we have quite a young audience, so hopefully they can understand that. Uh, I, I think this is a, a really interesting a really interesting concept for sports bettors because uh, like you talked about, you talked about fear before. Like 
it can be it, it's all about the price in sports betting but sometimes if you've got a you know maybe maybe you follow a tipster or some someone on a podcast who's giving out all these great bets and you know they've tipped it at 1.9 and it by the time you get to it, it goes down to 1.8, 1.7. You know they're good, but you know, and you know it's all about the price. But you don't want to miss out. You don't want to miss out on that, on that big, big winner. How do you like? Maybe just expand more on what you talk about in your book. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's tough, right? The fear of missing out for most betters, traders, poker players is not actually fear. Uh, what it is is this like umbrella term that can mean a lot of different things. It actually can mean almost anything. So FOMO can be a, like caused by the hatred of losing, right? Like actually missing out feels like a loss and you hate that. So you get in to avoid being pissed. Hmm. Um, for other people, it's a confidence issue. You get in because you, you don't actually trust and believe in your system or your strategy. And so you're kind of like constantly searching for these tips because you just actually don't have, you know, that much conviction in your strategy, or maybe you're just in a period where you've been losing a bunch and you're just looking for something to just kind of snap you out of it and, and get you on the winning track. Um, so, you know, when we, again, when we talk about these performance flaws, we are looking for like the reason why you're going to be compelled, you know, to, to go after a bet like that. And, and in my experience, there's only one flaw that is specific to FOMO. The rest are all, you know, uh, you know they're going to come from, from greed. They're going to come from overconfidence or a lack of, loss of confidence, you know, or anger. Um, but that one flaw would be um, the belief that, there will, be, that will, there will never be another opportunity like this again. Hmm. And, you know, I say that out loud and everybody who's listening is like, well, obviously there's more opportunities like that's what this industry is all about. But in the moment when you are faced with that feeling like, oh man, I'm going to miss out on this bet. It feels to some like there won't be another opportunity maybe today, maybe this week or there's just like, again, emotions have kind of overridden that, that like logical part of your brain. And there's a part of you that believes that, that that thing is true, that you believe that this is like the last opportunity you're going to get. And of course it is absurd, but that is what comes out. And that's what causes the compulsion to end up making, uh, you know, a bet like that. Everything else, uh, it, you know, like I said, is it, FOMO is just a like an umbrella term that, that then kind of links you into anger, other types of fear, confidence issues. Uh, and sometimes it's just a discipline issue where, you know, you, you just know better, but you know, you want a little action. <laughs> you know, you, you know, like the, maybe, maybe there just haven't been a lot of opportunities. So you just, you just do it out of boredom. You know, it, it can be some discipline problems like that too. But, you know, again, cause like I, people will just call it FOMO, but they don't actually, it doesn't actually mean that they are fearful that they're missing out. They're just yeah. fucking bored. They want, they want some, so something. <laughs> to I, I completely agree with what you said. Like, I, I have have so many so many times where I'm just yeah so yeah so fearful of 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 my opinion or whatever and before you know you're so worried about getting in on a bet that you're like okay I'm gonna stay away from this one today like I'm not I know I'm not a hundred percent into this bet and then it goes and and wins and it is I think I myself I think that is a worse emotion. Then, like you said, losing, actually putting money and losing. Totally, it's uh, yeah. it, it, it's a crazy thing. Do you, do you think um, do you think people can be uh, on the other scale of things like too like? Do you think people can be both greedy and also and also fearful, or do you think is it normally one or the other? And and if so, is there like an optimal state? Like, is it is it best to be somewhere in the middle, maybe? So, uh, yes, people can have both. Yes, you can have kind of one or the other. Um, so it's interesting though, we're talking about FOMO. In my experience, greed actually kind of takes on a similar form because if you think about it, um, and I think this is the problem. When we talk about greed in society, there's a very negative connotation that comes with it. 
you know, the, like the worst aspects of capitalism are representative in these people who are just hoarding money for themselves and don't, you know, care about anybody else. That's not what we're talking about here. Okay. No one would say that Tiger, Jordan, Michael Phelps, obviously I'm, you know, US heavy here. Um, but you pick pick the athletes that that you follow, that you love, that, you know, have have excelled at the highest levels. No one would say that they're greedy in their aspirations, right? Who's who's Tom Brady to have seven Super Bowls? He should be spreading the wealth. Hell no. Hell no. Right? No one would call that greed. So when we look at greed as it exists as a performance problem, all we're talking about is is just aspiration gone awry, right? There's just a line that you've crossed where your decision-making or your execution has just gotten to be too big. And, and you can look at every professional sports, uh, every, every athlete can have a tendency to be greedy, right? The basketball player who takes a shot they shouldn't, the golfer who goes for a shot they shouldn't, you know, the American football player who tries to run with the football, uh, run, try to, tries to pick up a fumble and run with it. And ha- every sport has it. So, so when we look at like the betting greed, it's just you have, you know, your ambitions have, have just gotten kind of too excessive. And that can be caused by fear, by anger, by overconfidence, <laughs> by lack of confidence. And you've got to kind of peel back the surface because there's just something that's gotten a little excessive. It's not like wholly wrong, right? It's just kind of like this outcropping that's just gotten to be too big. Uh, your decision making has, has kind of crossed that line. So, you know, then on the fear side, right, it's going to cross the line in the other way where you're going to like hesitate too much. You're going to stay too much on the sidelines. So where is that kind of optimal point? It's identifying what is your optimal decision making and removing all of the reasons why you get pulled away from that. That's how you find that sort of center point. And the only way to do that is to map that gradation, as I mentioned before, right? Your A game, B game, C game, and be ruthless at identifying the causes of your B and C game and be ruthless at identifying corrections and, and working them in so that over time, you know, right, your, the, the frequency uh, of you being at your A game gets a lot higher and eventually you create new A games, right? Where, you know, your previous A game from a year ago uh, is now your C game. It seems like from talking to you that all these issues or non-issues that people have are, are kind of all interconnected together within all sorts of different emotions. So if they're, if I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, okay, like I need to improve on, on whatever it is, like is it, is there like a simple task that you could get people to do or is, or maybe you've already mentioned it with your ABC task that you mentioned before? Yeah. I mean that, so the ABC task is, is certainly the beginning of it. You know, the other task is, you know, just put a spotlight on all of your mistakes and, and just start asking the questions. Um, now in the book and, and what I always do with my clients, you know, we begin kind of creating a map, uh, you know, and so like basically like what I provide is a system for the mental game, right? This is not like a collection of advice that says, Hey, think like this and you'll be great. Or, you know, do this and you'll be great. It's, it's instead a system for identifying and, and, and correcting the underlying causes of your problems. But to get there, you first have to map it, right? I mean, if you look at your ability to see opportunity in the market and compare it to a novice, right? It's just a recreational better. It, it, you know, there's a massive gap, right? What, how, how have you created that vision, right? Through tons of experience, through looking at betting lines, through looking at different opportunities, losing a bunch, right? You put in your dues and you've developed like vision for this. So I have put in my dues and I have vision for being able to sense and see what those flaws are. That, that is, you know, if I were to sort of simplify my greatest core competence, you know, it's being able to very, very quickly identify what that 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 problem that, that flaw is, and then you know once you do that, the corrections get quite easy. So for anybody who's not going to have the opportunity to work with me, which is basically almost everybody, because I'm not taking new clients, so we'll just put that out there. But you know, you're gonna use the book, okay? That's that'll be your tool. The beginning part of the book is all about mapping your pattern, right? Because the the thoughts that you have when you make poor decisions, the emotional reactions that you have. The certain actions you take, the decisions you make, the change in your perception, 
of, of betting opportunities, you know, good or bad. Um, you know, they all are reflective of what's happening in that particular moment. And if you look at those very closely, you get clues into understanding where the flaws are. And that's how the book is basically designed, right? You map your problems and then you use the book to help you figure out, all right, well, this is the flaw I've got. And, you know, now I can kind of put together a strategy. Um, and, and, and so the, the mapping is, is, is the most important thing because you cannot stop a problem you can't see. Being able to create a map of your emotional reactions, right? Because your thoughts are going to happen in very predict predictable ways. You're going to have the same kinds of thoughts, you know, when you get pissed off because something is unfair, you know? Uh, so, so what are those thoughts? Your actions are going to be similar. Once you're able to kind of recognize in real time, holy shit, I'm thinking like I'm in, I've, I've, I've got injustice still. Great. Now you've got an opportunity to do, to like put a correction there, right? If I had that back when I was trying to qualify for the U S open, if I knew why I was choking then, right, I would be able to work through my anxiety and my fear in that moment. And, and, you know, eventually maybe, right. Be able to actually execute and make those pots. So that's all this is about. Right? You, you, you can't rely on the hindsight. You can't say, ah, I knew I, I was pissed off and I still made the same mistake. If you keep saying that, how are you going to fix it? You, you got to be able to see it before it happens. It's just like a bet that you missed, right? <laughs> I mean, you can't say afterwards, oh, I knew, you know, Tampa Bay was going to win the Super Bowl. I should have, you know, bet the money line. No, it, it, how are you going to do, how are you going to make that decision ahead of time? That's what matters. And the way that you do that on the mental and emotional side is you create a really good map, whether that's specifically in the emotion stuff, whether that's the A, B, and C, whether it's, you know, just identifying your, your more common mistakes and when they happen. But you got to create some kind of external profile because in those moments, your mind is not operating well. Right? The emotions are compromising. You have to be able to have something either external or something that was external that you learned so well, now it's internal and you can see it and stop yourself in time, right? I mean, I know when I still play, I still play competitive golf. I know the difference between when I'm feeling like the performance, the, 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 like the, the nerves and the, the amped upness of playing a tournament, which is great. And I, I, I don't want to lose that. that. That's what, you know, helps me play great, helps me get in the zone. I know the difference between that and when my thoughts and my emotions have crossed the line. I know exactly why. And, you know, most of the time I'm able to get myself back on the right side of the curve um, and, and execute close. I mean, listen, I play, you know, sparingly, but, um, you know, I can still get it around. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I've only got one more question for you, mate. And, and that was to do with what I talked about at the start of the podcast and that we had um, a guy called Mike Holden come on who, who essentially – he he, you know, done various courses in profiling people and his his new way of looking at things because he he spent so much time in his past coming up with all these data models, but unfortunately, over time, uh, he saw his edge wear away, which is what most people of of, of sports betters has happened to them over time because bookmakers are doing the exact same thing now, and it's hard to find an edge there. So, in finding a new edge, he thought, well, why don't I start profiling? people and or, or football managers in this case and and trying to find an edge there in terms of like if I can kind of predict where a team's form is going to go in certain avenues because their managers because I profiled their manager and I know he's saying these certain things that mean the team's going to start doing these certain things do you think like do you think that's that's possible in in sports betting like do you think from your knowledge about being able to work on the mental side and the emotional side of things, do you think that that could be a certain like game changer or a new wave in, in sports betting going forward that we can actually uh, predict teams, players' performances based on things that they might be saying in press conferences and you're saying, oh, this means that he's in this mental state and that means he's going to play good or bad? I think you've answered the question. I mean, hundred percent. I mean, how, how could, how could it not? I mean, so like, I mean, okay. I took, I took, um, Tampa Bay money line, um, for the, for just the simple reason that, you know, it was the first time a, a, a Super Bowl team had hosted the Super Bowl, and Tom Brady can't lose that game. 
like it would it would it would tarnish his record to be the only player to lose a home game, you know, <laughs> in the Super Bowl. And so that was that was literally the only reason I bet on them uh, for that reason. Um, and, and so am I a genius? Hell no. I mean, I got lucky. I'm going to I will say that. I mean, I, I don't bet often enough to have that be my strategy. But I will say that if you're not considering the emotion and mental state of the athletes that you're betting on or the managers that you're betting on or the people, you know, I, I, listen, I, the, the horse punters, right? You're talking about jockeys and trainers and right infrastructure around these horses. I mean, all of these things matter because they're the ones making these critical decisions that, you know, can swing games. And especially as, you know, the, the, the competition, which we all know is happening, is getting more and more intense then what are those difference makers that exist in those games? So if you're not doing that profiling, then you may not be able to identify some of the things that can hinge certain games uh, or certain key moments. And yeah, of course, there's always going to be, you know, uh, the variance is part of it. But, you know, I think there's there's long been, you know, instances where betters feel like they're getting unlucky, but they feel that way because they are not actually controlling or accounting for you know, the mental and emotional state of the athletes that they're betting on. And if they had a better profile, then I'm not saying that their, their end decisions may, may um, be any different because you might make the same decision, but you, you know, how you feel when you lose is going to, would be different. And, and then of course, yes, it does provide you the opportunity to, you know, create edges and in, in places where it doesn't exist before. Cause there, there's just so much as any sports better knows, there's so much randomness involved in it. It would be, it would be interesting to find out or at least get some kind of idea on whether all that randomness that we see that, you know, the, that massive upset or, you know, whatever it is, like, is that just all down to mental state? And, and if we can then predict people's mental states and the way they react to certain situations, then I mean, have we, have we solved betting mate? Well, I, I think what you'll what you will find um, at that point in the game um, that if there is that kind of we'll call it like you sort of solve the mental state, that means that whoever is doing those profiling is smart enough to actually start working with the athletes. And there's probably a lot of money involved in that. So then you're going to start to see the athletes actually start to change. And so it, there's no way you're going to have perfect prediction because you can't always get access to you know, what's going on behind the scenes. And I can't predict, you know, how an athlete is going to, is going to respond. I mean, you know, I had PG tour player recently who, you know, had some, had some difficulty in, in, you know, kind of final rounds. Um, I had an, an esport team, you know, a couple of years, a couple of years ago who, you know, they were just like losing in the finals. And, and sometimes it was in pretty dramatically bad fashion. You know, they started getting labeled chokers and then they freaking flipped the switch because, we were like literally every single time they lost, we were analyzing it and they lost for different reasons every single time. If you're not, if you're on the outside observing that, it's really hard for you to know like what's causing it. I mean, listen, I'm watching this team play. I'm watching this golfer play and I can't tell why they're struggling. So if you, if I can't tell, then how are you going to tell? And then if you can't tell, then how are you going to know when they're going to flip the, flip the switch? Right? Because that's what happened with, um, you know, the, the C-sport team, right? They, they were losing in finals. I think they lost like eight out of 10 times and then they won, you know, eight in a row or seven in a row or something stupid. Right. And they became the best team in the world um, because they finally figured it out, figured it out. And, you know, this golfer is still in the process, but I can promise you that he will flip the strips at some point. And, and like, if I knew exactly when that was going to happen, you can damn well bet that I would put a large bet on it, but I don't know when it's going to happen. I, I mean, it's just, we, we, we can't make those kind of predictions, but, you know, on the whole, on the average, yeah, you're going to gain control because if the mental and emotional factors influence the outcome of the players performing, then of course they're going to impact, you know, your results. Yeah. Uh, Jared, this has been a fascinating conversation, mate. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I could come up with a thousand more <laughs> questions, but we'd be here all day. <laughs> Thanks, I, um, just, I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, no. So I, I think it's important for people to, I mean, your book's coming out very, very soon. It should be out by the time this uh, this podcast is out. I'll get the, the cover not, on my... I'm, fire, I'm firing somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the, for those watching on YouTube, I've got the, the cover of the book uh, on the screen right now. So that's what it looks like. But maybe you can, uh, yeah, just let people know where they can find you. And if you want to maybe mention a few of the finer details about your book. Yeah, I mean, as, as you can see from the cover, right, it's, like, it's a system, right? That's what I was talking about earlier. It's a system for solving problems with greed, fear, anger, confidence, and, and discipline problems. Um, those are kind of the big big five in terms of uh, the issues that most, you know, uh, traders experience. And I think, uh, you know, sports bettors uh, certainly fit in that category as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that it's not, this is not like a collection of advice. There's a lot of advice that is very good in the psychological world that you are welcome to use. I'm not like the owner of like all of the good advice that's out there. But I do think that I've got like a really good system that can become kind of the central way that you organize that material and be able to kind of use it, you know, more effectively. Um, so that's, that's like a, you know, kind of the book in a nutshell. Um, you know, the poker book is, is out as well. But if you were to choose, I mean, this book is, that book was written 10 years ago. Um, this book is like 60% longer. And when I say longer, I mean, like, there's that much more like content that will help you to kind of figure out, you know, what those performance flaws are and provide you, you know, kind of the advice around around correcting it. So, you know, plus, I've also learned a lot more about the, the process of correcting problems. Like, you know, we, we don't get light switches with this thing. It's more like you get like an axe where you're just kind of chipping away at it. And, you know, being able to kind of know what that looks like and measure progress is is oftentimes an important piece of the puzzle. Um you know, so that's, that's a you know, bit about the book and, you know, uh, jaredtendler.com is my website. We've got, you know, uh, a blog there, uh, you know, posting new articles. Uh, I'm eventually going to have a, a, a kind of a video um, series that'll come out. Um, and, uh, you know, I may restart my podcast. Maybe I'll have you on at some point. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, there's also some downloadable worksheets. And, you know, I'm, I'm as far as social media goes, I'm, I'm kind of most active on Twitter. So, uh, it's at Jared Tendler. So, you know, pretty easy. If you remember my name, you can find me pretty easily. I'll happily come on the podcast and be a case study, mate. You can you can go through <laughs> my brain and see where all my problems are. Talk about your FOMO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's, uh, I think the fearful, I mean, that would, when I when I get around to, to getting the book or whenever it comes out in Australia, I think uh, the fear section will be the, the first section I go to because I think I have almost too much respect for the betting market. <laughs> yeah. So, I, yeah, I, I really look forward to reading it, mate. Um, but, yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks, everyone, for listening or watching if you're on YouTube here. Uh, if you did enjoy today, please make sure you give us a like and if you're listening, do a quick rate and review. It would be tremendous and subscribe. But, yeah, thank you so much, Jared, uh, for your time and I'm sure that, yeah, people out there have gotten something out of today, if not, if not lots of things because... Uh, yeah, you're breaching a topic that not many people talk about, and and something that I'm sure that no matter I'm, no matter what facet of life, like whether you're trading or you know sports betting or like doing anything in life, like so many of these concepts can be applied to those areas. So, mate, thank you yeah. so much for coming on. You got it, man. Happy to be here, and it was it was fun. Enjoyed it. All right, awesome. Thanks, guys. <laughs>